0: only It's only been, what, maybe two weeks?
1: Two weeks, I think. I think. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, about two weeks. It feels like we
0: are out of practice.
1: <laughs> it feels like months ago already. Yeah. It's just amazing. But I'll still take busy overboard. I'm just saying. I just... I hear you there.
0: I, I was kind of bored for a couple of months, like at the end of the year a little bit, and now,
1: now it's back to busy. You know... Yeah, we'll see how the rest of the year goes. It's gonna be outstanding. We already know this. I am a positive thinker. It is gonna be outstanding. I love it. Looking forward to it.
0: But but you know it's not outstanding? All the legacy apps that everyone has.
1: Yes, and and I think that's a great topic for us today, as we, what we said. I uh I know this is one that has been on top of mind for me for a while, and not that because I'm a COBOL programmer, because even I haven't done COBOL, though I, I know what it is. I, uh, I seem to be in conversations on this topic uh, a couple weeks now, I think, and it, and it keeps coming up over and over again. So it seemed like a great idea. And then in travel... And a good place for us to start. Let me see if the sharing still works as we hope. Um, we should be able Well, we to have share. had uh, kind of
0: major technology problems today. So I mean, who knows? Nothing might work. The, the whole, you know, laptop might meltdown. It, it's it's all possible.
1: Anything is possible. So we <laughs> had a, is an possible. article that came Wall Street Journal, and and I think this is from a little little bit ago, but not too long ago. Um, just like the programmers themselves, they've been around for a long time. This article may have as well, <laughs> but the point is still very valid, right? And it's the idea that most of the most of the technologists, most of the developers, and the system, you know, um, administrators and such, for a lot of the older machines, midframes, mainframes, uh, are retiring or they're or they're dying off. Um, but either way, they are leaving the field and. I like the quote it started with here. Every day, more legacy programmers log off for the last time, creating potential risks for the organizations that rely on their skills. And this is a real problem that I think either gets swept under the rug sometimes. Like we, mm-hmm. we decide, oh, we'll, we'll deal with it later. It's a real problem, but we'll deal with it later. And we just keep hoping and hoping. Yeah. And the, the thing is, and it says it in here, right? 25% of the workforce... Yeah is this older set of technologists that are going to decide they want to retire at some point. And it's going to continue to happen faster and faster, and the workforce is going to continue to get smaller and smaller. Now, before we go to a different part of that, I found it interesting is there is an idea that 60... I wrote it down. It was like... 85 million jobs by 2030 in the technology technology space are not going to be filled. So if we're yeah. going to have a loss of all these jobs, 85 million jobs in technology are still not going to be filled in 2030. All these people are leaving. All the new people who are coming into technology are not going to be looking to become a cobalt programmer on a mainframe. Well, maybe, <laughs> maybe. like I, I, That's the way people are thinking about it right
0: now. But, yep. you know, I think there's a very interesting corollary with the trades. And, you know, and definitely in my generation, we were told you have to go to college You know, no exceptions. You know, like my parents, like a lot. You know, neither my parents went to college. A lot of people in that generation didn't. Some did, but really, in my generation, it was you've got to go four year, four year college. Go get it done. You know, go do some kind of you know white collar work or or whatever. Work in an office, those kinds of things. And there's a whole generation of people that didn't want to go be a carpenter or an electrician or a plumber or a whatever, and you know there's a lot of people if you would have talked to not too long ago would have been like yeah like you know nobody wants to do those kinds of things well what's actually happening is those jobs are becoming quite well paid and yes. there's a lot of people that are starting to you know consider doing them because you can make a pretty darn good living doing some of that work it's also incredibly stable you know, yes. through the years, there's constant construction. There's you can do all kinds of things. It's a very transferable skill in a lot of ways to life. And um, I think there you know, it's not a direct correlation here. But, you know, if I was a young person right now and I was going out into the workforce, do you know what I would be learning?
1: It'd be COBOL. Like, I'd be learning <laughs> like, all the rest of them as well, but I would absolutely be learning COBOL. There's a there's a variation in there but I I don't disagree with where you're going with it, right? Yeah, cuz there's another interesting
0: stat is like 70% of the finance industry has some kind of mainframe system running COBOL in it. And yeah. even outside of that, it's something like 35 or 40%, I can't remember the exact number, of companies, large companies are using mainframe still. Oh. Uh, uh, it ain't going anywhere. <laughs> it, it will yeah. eventually, but is it, it? It's there's. It's it's a tough as we'll get into. It's a really tough nut to crack.
1: Well, I think, and I just turned my notebook off. I like my remarkable <laughs> notebook. The thing's awesome. So you keep button <laughs> bumping the power button on the top of it. Hashtag not sponsored. Yeah, not sponsored yet. I would sponsor <laughs> that one. I think the thing is amazing. Um one of the guys I work with now, every time we go to sit with somebody goes, Dan, when are you going to give the commercial on your notebook? Because everyone sees me writing on it. And then they're like, what is that? What is that you're writing on? That is awesome. My cat. I, I, If I made commissions selling these, I would have made a ton of money because I'll be on the airplane. Somebody sitting next to me. It's like, Oh, what yeah. is that? I let them try it. They're like, okay, I'm buying one. I'm buying one, you know, every time I go somewhere. So Cause it's, it's new and
0: gonna have to get an affiliate link or something at this point.
1: Yeah. I met a guy that had a backpack that was full of notebooks, literally that he was carrying for work. And I said, oh, I have 25 notebooks on this little thing. And I showed him and he's like, okay, I'm, I'm hooked. Like you just saved me. You saved me back pain. Like, you know, it was good. Yeah. Um, to your point, you were just talking about earlier though. I, I did some more research on that because from my own experience, a lot of it was, where are the mainframes today? Right, we know they're in finance. We know they're in uh, insurance. Um, they're in aeronautical, right? So the the airlines still run based on them. Retail, which yeah. is a lot of my background, right? Retail, tons of you know large retailers run off those. Um, the other one is obviously government. Government has a lot of these these machines. A ton of it. And. The stat that I found that was interesting is two-thirds of all the Fortune 500 companies still run on mainframes in one form or another. And when you look at that, that means 45 of 50 banks in the Fortune 500 run on some mainframes in their system somewhere. Eight out of 10 for insurance, seven out of 10 for retailers. We get the point, right? That's a lot of companies still running mainframe. So, So I think you're... I think your 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 point on blue collar work, like, because you and I have a background in both having done construction. Yeah. My father, when I was young, told me get your get go get your union card because no matter what, you'll always have a job. Like, go be electrician, get your union yeah. card. Local three sixty three was his, and you know get the card and and you're set for life. And. <laughs> I think they're great ways of working and unlike our job, they can actually go home at the end of the day and not have to turn the machine back on and keep working. But <laughs> you know, completely different discussion. But
0: unless you just love to and then you want to build stuff at night, but that's a whole different problem.
1: Right. Well, yeah. Well you you never do the work that you need to do at your own house, right? Is that's the cobbler's the cobbler's children, right? That's right. My father would have outlets I'm in the house very, that were never wired because he never got to them. <laughs>
0: Uh, but I mean, you know, when you think of those stats, you're just calling out like that's, you know, the 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 problem. like well, actually, I, you know, a lot of people want to call this a problem. <laughs> and yeah. I don't know if it is as much of a problem as people want to make it seem like like. Everybody wants to talk about these systems like they're antiquated, like they don't work anymore. Like, you know, they, you have to get rid of them because they're a, you know, they're just this disease inside of your organization that's going to crush you over time. And, right. you know, I, I know we're both consultants, but man, that sounds like something a consultant would say. But it, it does. But you're not wrong. Right. But in, in the in the end, like, is this really a problem like kind of the the aging workforce and the people that know cobol is absolutely a problem but you know if you what are so what are the actual you know what what could you do right to me there's like three major things you can do with these old legacy legacy systems you can just rip and replace them by saying we're going to go and rewrite this entire thing you can try to build a wrapper around it which a lot of people do right or you can try to like you know slowly change them over time which a lot of people do as well and like one interesting thing that that i always um I, i that came up when i was looking is you know how there's some websites that have a really weird password it's like, oh, it, it yeah. has to be eight characters, but it can't have special characters. It, 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 you know, if you use a password manager, it can't use basically any password that thing spits out. The reason yeah. why is because there's a mainframe behind it. And that mainframe is the thing that can't actually handle those complicated passwords. The new modern systems can. So if you ever run into a weird thing where it's like, oh, this is a very odd password-like scheme, it's because there's right. a mainframe behind it but that's a total sidebar um but if you think of you know the ways that people want to try to do that legacy modernization it becomes a like those are really really big challenges to try to to try to figure out especially when they're running the heart of your business
1: and they're probably running it well those machines are resilient if nothing else that's one of their their superpowers is Ooh. they don't need to be rebooted like some Windows machines, Windows servers, you know. Okay. Um you don't have to recycle it at all. You don't have to touch it. You don't need to do anything. You can change hardware while it's running. You don't have to take it down to do repairs on it even. The machines are amazing. I worked for a client once years ago. We had to find an AS400, which is a midframe, not a mainframe, but still same general premise, and we couldn't find this thing. We ended up finding it in the back of a, uh, a utility closet, it had been there so long that they started putting cleaning supplies and boxes and everything in front of the server. But it was actively running part of the mail system for the organization. And it was a huge organization, global organization. That to me was finally the, the um, last winning story or, you know, most amazing story of like, okay, I believe in these boxes. These things are like... Unreal amazing. But at the end of the day it's scalability, reliability, and protection on them. And we keep thinking to your point that they need to be replaced, that we should take them out. Also forgetting the fact that over the last several years, every story we read or anyone we might talk to says that it's taken years. They've ended the project before it completes, which is why they all have, you know, something running on mainframe still, because it takes a year to see any kind of value and then a year? it costs oh my so gosh, much you money. Take five years. Five years to get any real value depending on the system, yeah. but minimum yeah. is a year. You are not going to get any value in the first three months or six months. If somebody's telling you they're going to come in and look at this thing and replace it in a year, or they're even going to give you a ton of value in the first couple months, they're kidding because mm-hmm. you first have to figure out all the code that's in it. You have to figure out 10, 20, 30, 40 years or better of you know business logic that's in it. None of it's documented. Nobody documented these systems when we built them. Well, not only are they not documented,
0: but everything is not in the space where you think it might be. So you, you know, and I am no COBOL expert, but it, it doesn't work the way modern software design works. It, and there is, you're talking about 60 years of band-aiding. In sixty yeah. years of of stuff, and so you'll have business logic kind of scattered everywhere, you know. In in more of a modern, um, you know, kind of modern software perspective, you know, you kind of have your backends, your middleware, and your front. and You know, where do you put your business logic? And if you have business logic shoved into your UI and inside of kind of your you know your BFF or you know kind of whatever you want to call that middle middle layer, and then you have it in your backend services as well trying to hunt down a problem can be problematic and there's really only three places to look inside of of a cobalt environment or a midframe or mainframe you have you know people have the cobalt stuff that's there, cobalt programs, and then the things that are inside of it. Well, you've had years of people saying, well, I don't want to touch that cobalt because I don't know what it does. And I'm afraid to break everything. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to build another process that's run off of another thing that now impacts this program. And yeah. it, it it's everywhere. It's everywhere and anywhere. And just like your, your example of like, Oh, we found the thing running in a box in a closet. It's the electronic version of that. Like, where is all of this yeah. coming from? And, you know, anybody that tries to tell you that you can do this in a quick and easy fashion is just straight up lying to you.
1: I agree. And the uh, kind of a a side thought that I I was thinking of this this morning was the developers that are coming in to work on maybe not this system, but any system today seem to have less understanding of the business domains they're working in right mm-hmm. and i don't know if it's because we're causing developers to become hyper focused and personalized into what they're working on or we're just se- we're segregating the business and the business logic further from the development teams in a lot of organizations when i grew up as a developer you had to know everything you had to know it and you needed to know the business you were working in there was no choice <laughs> nowadays we have so many roles and so many levels of everybody Kind of like playing telephone tag, but the whole different topic for us. But um, I wonder in that, or not even wonder, but I believe that that's going to cause these additional problems where developers are not going to understand that old code because they don't understand the domain at all. So if I hire a developer or like consultants, like you said, who come in and are going to look at my Cobalt code, but they don't know my industry, they don't know my domain. They're not going to understand the unique business rules. They're not going to understand why we do some weird thing in the code before they even start looking at the code to understand which is core set and which are the augmentations that were added on to it afterwards, which thus is my spaghetti code. But, like, you know, what is that pattern? And I think that's why most of them fail, actually, is probably a combination of those as I think about it. Well,
0: you have, you know, People don't work at places like they used to. I mean, you go back 50 years ago, and I went to work for IBM, and then I retired from IBM 30 years later. Like that just doesn't happen. I True. you know I don't think I've ever worked at a place longer than three and a half years or four years. Okay. And
1: I, my longest 13, so big difference. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so you know, but if you probably did a little reflection, you probably should have left sooner. But who knows? Like,
1: yes.
0: um, but a lot of people just don't 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 work there that long, and they're not specializing towards an industry. I mean, some of them right. are like in banking and finance. You'll see people that kind of stick in banking and finance, but you get outside of that, especially in the you know, startup worlds and those kinds of things, and it just becomes. You know, I'm going to go wherever they're going to pay me the most, you know, writing Java programs is writing Java programs. And and to your point with, you know, with the business logic, you don't necessarily need to know some of that. It'd be nice if you did. Right. But, you know, people that have those specialized skills in programming and in kind of the, the business and industry are going to warrant a higher pay and businesses don't necessarily want to pay top dollar for a lot of people anymore.
1: Yeah, but it makes you a stronger programmer to understand the domain you're working in and not just the code. Because you can write really pretty code, great, but if it doesn't understand the domain, if you don't understand the domain, you can't be innovative. You can't think outside the box to then build something that is unique to the problem space we're in. All you're thinking of is the technical problem space. So you're limiting yourself in being able to be even better than just a programmer. And like you said, it pays more because then you become amazing, right? And that's where startups really pull in those kinds of people.
0: But you get into these kind of, you know, a legacy bank or something like that. You don't, you know, a lot of those kinds of people don't want to go work for them because it's a different, it's a completely different style than what they're used to. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I was thinking about like what we were saying before. You know, we we think about the mainframe. IBM just came out with the Z, not literally just now, but like the Z15. I think is the current version, and they're still selling mainframes. Um, their competitors are looking to try to stop making them and service have end of life. I think in the next five or ten years, something like that. I was reading, and. IBM is not and good for them because it's well, been they're helping also the trying to modernize for a long it time. A well it's a well. strong machine. Yeah.
0: How do you take the, how do you take, you know, COBOL as a language and try to modernize it a bit where it can still do the things that it's doing now, but st- also have ways of extending it into modern kind of platforms and those kinds of things. And there's a bunch of interesting, you know, things that people are trying to, uh, trying to do and, and there is some examples of that through time like i think php has um a little bit of that kind of flavor where you go back you know five six eight ten years ago something like that where php basically just ran wordpress and if you were you were yeah. insane to use it for anything else as far as i'm concerned they've really come around and they've really modernized a lot of that language to become something that is in my opinion less of a joke
1: right right
0: more, more um, commercialized, right? And I think you can do, uh, you know, you could do the same. You could do the same with COBOL in some ways because you know, going back to what are your options to get rid of COBOL? It is, you know, if you're going to build or modernize your stack, there's a bunch of problems you're gonna to have to run across. We've already talked about the the you know understanding of all of the business logic and you can't understate that. That is years and years and years of 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 processes learned to bake these things out. They're also generally if you have a mainframe well a mainframe is core to your business. So say you're a bank and you're processing banking transactions. That cannot be screwed up. period. And so if if you put yourself into the CTO or whatever of that business that says, "You know what? I'm going to take on monetizing our our Mayframe, and if it goes really horribly, I am the guy that completely destroyed this banking, you know, this bank's infrastructure who wants to take on that risk especially people you know yes mainframe is getting older but a lot of the people that are in those roles are at a point in their career where they're like i'm not taking that kind of risk why Yep. why would i that's another guy's problem or gal's problem you know and there's there's a, a yeah there's an interesting quote in here that i found called, you know, the guy uh, who's talking about uh, cobalt migra- migration and he says, you know, migrations get postponed and postponed and the old IT directors say, not in my time. Yeah. And it's it's because they understand the actual risks to, to making this thing happen. And you need to be able to have the time and the, the political, like the internal political will to be able to make something like happen. And in most places, that's never, never going to be true.
1: Or have a different plan.
0: Or have a different plan. Cause you can, (laughs) you you can, that's absolutely, you can. I mean, the rip and replace is, is by far the hardest, but it also gives you the like, and I'm going to say benefit in air quotes, Because it's, you know, if you can ever actually make it happen, you're going to be able to do more modern things easier, quicker, faster. But I would also go back to if you're a big if you're a big bank, do you need to actually do all of that? But that's a whole nother problem.
1: But I think that's the right question. So. If my organization, let's say I'm the CTO of my org here, and I'm looking at this, and you're telling me from IT that I should spend thirty million dollars to get rid of all my mainframes, and I go, mm-hmm. but I make three billion on those systems, right? And they work mm-hmm. just fine. They might be old. They might be slowly, you know, I'm losing my workforce, and we'll figure that out. Um, I can hire a bunch of, you know, developers out of another country that can learn. Cobalt and just let them run it. Ryan, who cares? <laughs> They're cheaper. That body count is still cheaper than me taking out mm-hmm. those mainframes. And I'm still that's making it. my revenue. So then why should I rip and replace? Right. And I think that's a question that's consistently mm-hmm. our conversation that's consistently happening. Right. It's cheaper to get that's bodies right. than it is for me to replace those systems. It's cheaper and less risky. Right. Right? So mm-hmm. we're probably not going to rip them out. And they run the system and they are working just fine, which goes back to who made the decision to get rid of these consultants. And I know we're consultants, so we shoot ourselves in the foot <laughs> somewhat, right? But the consultants pick this. Bastards. Did, Nobody likes those. Yeah, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> or did the problem actually come from internal? And I think it's coming more from external pressures and the and changing of, of, of narratives. But... Cloud is amazing for what cloud is, but cloud doesn't directly replace some of the things on mainframe. So mm. some of the conversations, if you want to go down this path, is most of them are pushing to go to cloud, but... It's not a one-to-one. There's benefits of each. So even your mainframe to cloud is not really a, a logical move. Certain components maybe, and even like IBM and some of the newer versions is giving you access on the cloud as well as in the mainframe itself. I think it's uh, I forget the abbreviation, but it's like mainframe as a service kind of idea. Um, I do know it offers them the ability as a developer that I can test in dynamic environments. I get basically a, a virtual environment of a mainframe to do my development and my testing and validations. So. I'm I'm not breaking the production system. Um, but where I run my code and how I move forward, I I, just, I still think that's a bad model, I guess, in my mind, is going from a mainframe and trying to stuff it all up into the cloud probably is not the most uh, innovative and logical direction to take. Well, look at look at how well that's going with other things
0: and other more modern much more modern things that are that are people trying to say oh you have to modernize this and move this into the cloud or you have to right. you know there's this you know in engineering we are very guilty of thinking things you know back to that quote from earlier thinking things are antiquated and then i have to replace them with something new right and it, you know were there like were there problems with old like on-prem data centers? Yeah. Yeah, there were. Are there are there some benefits to moving into the cloud for some things? Yes. But you can also take a lot of the, the way that the cloud operates and move that back to your own data centers and remove all the problems of the old data centers. Right. And so, you know, whether you're talking about, you know, modernizing old mainframe the you know again back to like what consultants are telling you you should move this into the cloud well should you maybe but what you're actually talking about is not necessarily moving to the cloud you're talking about having you know better deployments and better the ecosystem around it and you can do that in a couple of different places but you know there's a lot of a lot of people in the world that are trying to sell you something and a way to sell you something is to make sure that you know you think what you have is no longer, no longer any good. You know, you see that like a little bit of a sidebar here, but you know, there's the whole concept of planned obsolescence and the same thing kind of applies here. You know, like you, it's the easiest to see in cars where, you know, you look at, look at, you know, some of the styling today, a lot of those same stylings happened five, six, eight years ago, but then it was like, Nope, that's not the newest one. And then you try to move along and we've been conditioned to think that, Oh, just because it's older, it's bad. Well, no, not necessarily. You can, you can still use a lot of these, you know, older ways of thinking and older programming languages to great success. You know, it seems like, you know, um, like an example, Ruby on rails, you remember when Ruby mm-hmm. Rails was the, the thing, like everybody loved it, and then it really fell off, and it seems like it 's having a bit of a resurgence because it 's a really good, well thought out system. For yeah. anybody that's kind of chased like the, the modern JavaScript languages understands that, oh, I'm going to go to use X or Y or Z. And then, oh, my gosh, it doesn't do the things that I want it to do. It's broken. It has a lot of bugs. That is all like, yeah, it's because you're trying to use you're chasing this, this modernization all of the time. And all it's doing is hurting you.
1: Right. And it adds a lot of overhead to your development teams. Because in the end, it's not you're not trying to just do this cool stuff. You're trying to run your business. Yeah. Yep. And and the chasing is part of the problem. Um, you're you're hurting your team. You're requiring them to relearn. You're creating new environments. Reset. You're setting things back up. Getting your ways of working back in place. You're spending months trying to just get back up to what I would say is a highly effective team working in a highly effective environment. Right. That that's a problem yeah. all on its own. But the. The cloud well, there's and the, non-
0: one, one other one other thing before you jump to a different point, <laughs> and I'll jump off my soapbox. I swear. There's there's the concept of like lift and shift inside of modernization efforts, and every time I hear this thing, it makes me cringe. And so what? Like what? So what you're telling me is you're going to take this pile of stuff over here, you're not going to change it at all, and you're going to move it to that pile over there, and all of a sudden, like that's worth whatever cost you've spent to move it that okay well maybe I had all of my servers in my own data center and now I have the same kind of servers in the cloud and that makes me better somehow just because it's not there it's there I I can't figure out for the life of me why anybody would want to do this other
1: than like FOMO (laughs) yes yeah yeah I, 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 and that's an awesome point, and I'm glad you just went down that path. Um, I've been in a couple conversations this week, and my CEO keeps going, I was going to recommend lift and shift, but Dan Dan told me, no, what are you, a fucking idiot? He goes, you know, why would you do that? And to your point, why? like, why would you make this decision? Like, it's the best conversations I've had all week with him when he does that. Um, it's so true. Why would you, know, you lift end- and shift something? Go ahead. I got you on your soapbox. If, if,
0: if you're going to if you're going to move something, you need to like okay. If you're going to choose to move to the cloud, makes makes a lot of sense for things that need scale. That, well, I'll save a lot of that for, for some other time.
1: But yeah, yeah. But to your point, it's scalability and it's access and some things like that. Yeah.
0: But there's also reasons that you don't want to move to the cloud. And if if you're if you have an older system, you it. If you're going to move it, you should modernize it to be able to fit the ecosystem in which it's sitting. Right. So move to containerization, move to good CICD stuff, move to good DevSecOps tooling, move to like you should be able to do that and optimize around the systems in which you're moving towards that that has a lot of value because you're now, you're, you know, um, your resiliency is better, your observability is better, your, um, you know, whenever you have some kind of an outage is better. All of those things are better. So, yes, there's value, but that's not a lift and
1: shift. In right. my opinion. Don't disagree, but I, and I think that's the, uh, an important point of saying, you know, don't lift and shift. It's organizations most likely are not running with the same business rules and the same practices and the same process they they did when this system was put in place. If you just lift and shift everything that's in there, you're bringing over bad practices. You're bringing over bad code, right? Which at the end of the day, if you truly took the time to look through what's there, and redesign it before you brought it over into the new environment, the new system, the new architecture, you probably would only bring 20% of it over. 80-20 rule. There's probably Mm -hmm. only 20% of that existing system that's truly used today, even though the rest of it was used at one time or is semi-used or once in a while gets run. It's probably not as important. There's probably only 20%, which means then your project will be smaller, your migration would be easier, and you'd get more value out of it, and then you redesign the new system to do what you needed to do. More greenfield, which takes out all the overhead of trying to work on an old brownfield, and older system, right? Um, but I still sit on the I still sit on the fence. Also, that just don't touch it. Figure a clean way to start working around the edges of it, because if that's core to your system and it's running your system well, then why change it? Figure out how to innovate around it do figure out how to parse some of it out though, because there is a cost savings. Cause most likely the KLO and the MIPS cost on those mainframes is unreal. And companies are paying millions of dollars in both headcount to keep it running and then licensing just to run the servers themselves.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And there's, there's ways to, to do that. Like I found an interesting example um, from, kind of a Canadian bank where they were trying to do a, a cobalt kind of migration. And they had, they had done an analysis and they basically came to the, that it would take five years to migrate everything from their old system to a new system with zero new work being done. (laughs) Zero, but it would, or it would take nine to 12 years with a 60% reduction in capacity to be able to kind of modernize things. And you know that is it's a long time and yeah. if you if you look at the you know i think the average like ceo tenure is something around three years that you know and that really like the average c-suite is around three years so if you're going to do a 12-year project there are not a lot of people that are going to say you know what? I'm going to spend my time and energy and effort to try to kick this thing off, so that my predecessor's predecessor's predecessor can can get the value from it, um, or especially it like rule number if you, one. you know, or Sorry, especially it if you rule out number of one, that.
1: right? <laughs> yeah, you can tell we haven't done this in a while. We keep stepping on each other you with can. the new software.
0: You can, yeah, but if you if you move into um, you know, a way of like from the, the the, private space into like the government space. There is very few politicians that are going to ever say, Hey, I have 20 million dollars. I could either go refurbish a park and then stand there on national TV and cut a ribbon and say, Look, I'm here for you, or you know, go spend that money trying to modernize an old legacy system that actually has a true impact to a broad set of, of your constituency. Like, you know, there's a lot of issues in, um, like unemployment systems and lots of other legacy things that, that, um, um, kind of states and kind of governments have no one, there is no, no energy or effort to ever be put into those because no one's incentivized to do it in almost any way.
1: It, it requires, um, what we say, courageous execu- executives. Uh, That's right. A good friend of mine is a CTO of one of the states, and uh, she's been spearheading projects like that for a long time, and she's done some pretty amazing stuff, and uh, it, far and few between that I meet somebody who truly is doing like you're saying and, and pushing outside of the boundaries and going, no, this really is the best way that I can help all of the constituents for this state. And I'm going to push no matter what to do this, because this is the right thing, which right. You don't see that that often. Um, Mm -hmm. Where I was going before and what fits into your model here is rule number one that we learned was leave it better than you found it. Right. That's right. So if I'm going to go as an executive or a leader on a team in an organization and I'm going to be there three to five years, let's say, I don't want to pick up anything that I'm going to leave for the next person coming in half done broken like i don't want that bad press i don't want them thinking when they come in that no they are not going to go to the next place i go i want the opposite right so i'm going to take care of my peers just like they would take care of me so we're always looking to create better organizations and better job to come to right that means systems like this don't get touched nobody wants to go near it um but then that, that goes to a different question. That goes to the question of what do I do with it then? So Rip and Replace is out. Big Bang is out. How do I make some, mm-hmm. you know, logical decisions to, to get some value from the system and also maintain that aging workforce? <laughs> because at the end of the day, it's domain knowledge, like we said, and interest in working in the system. I like your blue-collar thing. We should come back to that. And yeah. then its ownership because the projects have to be in a logical time frame to show value so that each each succession inside the organization is showing value and the system is continuing to move forward as it should mm-hmm. so i
0: you know when i when i think about these kinds of problems there's really kind of two 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 things that that i think can really help drive some of these things and to me this is a transformation that takes many years, depending on the size, but they're, you know, thinking from a domain structure really helps because like mainframes, yeah. just this big conglomeration of things, being able to do some domain driven design, structuring your organization to think about how can I build that you know kind of industry domain knowledge around a specific thing and be able to you know, not everybody's gonna understand everything going under the hood, but I can start to build that knowledge and then having some kind of abstraction layer that sits in between. And you know, you see this in a whole bunch of different areas, but you know, can I build an API layer that sits in between my business systems and my mainframe? It's not right. gonna replace all of the things that the mainframe's doing, but what it can do is start to provide some level of contract And then you can slowly start chipping things away. That's okay. Well, I understand this part of what this COBOL program is doing. Now I can pull that out and then I can pull that out into a microservice or into a set of microservices under a given domain. And you can slowly start to pull that away because, you know, the the, the scariest thing about all of this is the unknown unknowns. And yeah. you know, am I gonna go in there and find this rat's nest of of business logic and things that I have no idea what it's doing? Probably. And you're gonna get to that spot and say, eh, I don't think I wanna touch this right now. Let's go ahead and, and maybe we move to another spot. <laughs>
1: Yep. And, and outcome driven on that, right? And, and thinking about what value it's adding, what, what's it touching inside the domain, what customer, you know, which part of the glass, what, which customers are touching and how are they touching and interacting with it. So you're aligning value at each one of those changes. My That's right. My recommendation is always the fringes, the edges of the system itself. Because uh, you also have, as we talk about, Uh, aging out workforce you also have a problem that the people that are doing that want to finish their job they just want to finish working here don't touch my stuff don't rattle my cage (laughs) don't rock the boat you know pick which one you want but like they're going to fight back it's going to be quiet and very political in its own nature but they don't want you to come in and take away the job they've been doing basically their whole life there maybe and they just want to finish their last couple of years and I want to go retire. And now you're going to come in and tell me I have to do all this major hard work. So they're also going to push back. So logically, from a political standpoint, from the organization and from anyone else's, don't worry about the core system. Let these guys do what they're doing. Keep it running. Keep it going. Look at a lot of the components in there, like you said, that you can slowly start to strangle out. And move into more of a microservice architecture, like the IBM Z series machines and a lot of the other ones now have an API layer on them. It's already there, Mm -hmm. so you can leverage that API layer. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and you can leverage that into the architecture that you were mentioning. So there is a way to do it, but I think there's a a hidden piece in there that nobody talks about, which is again, those guys don't want to get fired and they don't want to lose their job. They just want to finish what they're doing. And if you come with this project at the wrong, in the wrong fashion, right, the wrong format for this project, they will undermine it. Whether they, you ever figure that out or not, they will undermine your project. Which maybe that's why a lot of these fail. You know, I'm just just saying.
0: Well, I mean, there's definitely there's definitely a case for a little bit of that, but I think most of these fail because you have people, you know, again pointing at us consultants that are going to come in and tell you, Oh yeah, we can totally do this and I can get you, I can get you value in a year. Really? Like maybe, maybe that's possible, but I can show you you something in a year. Yeah. (laughs) I can show you something and, but it's, you know, there's so many unknown unknowns that you just, you can't, begin to understand where the problems exist without being able to, you know, talk to those old, old developer folks yeah. that really understand it and be able to point you in the direction to say like, yeah, maybe this thing can go. Maybe that thing can go. Um, it's, it is a long, long burn and very few people are interested in it, to be honest.
1: Yeah, that's true. I um I, th- I I I think it comes down to the people and the knowledge at the end of the day. So I think the most important part in these systems, and this kind of comes from some discussions I've been having lately too, is getting that domain knowledge out and understanding that business domain knowledge is. I think more important than even worrying about trying to rip out the system, replace the Mm -hmm. system or anything else. You'll get more value from that. Cause then if you wanted to go greenfield and build a new system to match it, you could because Mm -hmm. now you understand the entire system and all the rules and all the other components, and you're going to get it from these people before they retire. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. do the research, do the deep dive, do the current state analysis, get it all done and understand your landscape because you can make so many more choices from that than just going in there and trying to piece meal parts off.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The, the, one of the challenges that I've seen with that is that takes a long time trying to do a current state analysis. You know, I, I, even if you take out COBOL, I have done, many kind of value stream analysis and kind of just like systems analysis with a bunch of things and doing something simple can take weeks to try to truly understand how it works. And if you're trying to do complex systems that are handling enterprise level things, you could spend two years trying to understand how all of this works and and then not only understanding how it works but then being able to try to replicate it is is even harder because uh, you know you have 60 years of edge cases being being resolved inside of this code and you know you'll look at some code and like why is it doing this like why why is this doing you know it's taking this input and then it's my, you know changing it in some way and yep. then it's spitting it back out like why is it possibly doing that you may never know.
1: Yeah, I mean, there, was, there was issues in code from, over the years. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, there were it, issues it in come code come over the years. Weird, weird. Like, <laughs> ah, we are, we are, we are all over it today, man. Well, I'm wondering <laughs> if we have a delay in this new tool as well. There because, is absolutely a delay. Yeah. yeah.
0: Go ahead, sir. I, um, Go ahead.
1: Um, so, to your point there were compo- there were there were times in writing code for different systems that I worked on where I had to do weird things to get around problems in the version of the code itself i yeah. remember needing to duplicate certain lines so you had to run the command but run the command twice because it almost ignored the first one each time and somebody would go back and look at that code and go that that's why did you do that that's weird and you go that's how the 400 worked or that how something else worked you know that's how WebSphere was working at the time and like a lot of weird stuff that you would write or you'd have to do custom methods like you're saying to work around some kind of problem it wasn't a business problem it was a code Uh problem at that moment in time and even if you went and recompiled that code on a newer version you might have to go rewrite that code because now they fixed that problem so now whatever we put in now won't work so now you're going to wonder why you can't actually recompile something that was working for years so now you're debugging this one little piece of code with no domain knowledge no no history behind it so yeah it's a it's a scary place to go play
0: Mm -hmm. and if you think about the modernization efforts there If, if you're somebody doing an analysis of that, of that kind of, you know, flow of information, how do you know, unless you know, you have that deep knowledge that says, oh, well, I duplicated this line because I had to. And how do you know that that's a thing that you need to care about or a thing that you can disregard? And, you know, that, that is another really compounding problem for a lot of the the legacy modernization things because you can't just have a smart guy that knows Java really well be able to look through it all you need the people that understand COBOL really really well and these old mainframe systems really really well that can they can kind of tell you where those you know where the skeletons are and the things that you can ignore versus the things that, that are absolutely critical to making the right outcome
1: I think the the question has to be what then? Right? Because yeah. you can't not touch it. You have to go do something on it. So really what makes the most sense? In my mind, still, it's small parsing out and understanding components of the system to decide to do certain things with it. Whether you're green-fielded or something else, it's fine. But you have to get in there and understand the system. And the longer most organizations wait, the worse it's going to get because the, the people who have the knowledge are walking out the door every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And
0: so to me, there's, there's two other things that that you can add into there you know there's some new kind of testing frameworks and in these new kind of modernized things where you're trying to inject tests and be able to kind of understand how that's working in some ways and you know how do you how can you you know understand what's happening now but then once you go through with building your new thing whether it's you know whatever that new system looks like how do you actually start to test that against the old system and that that to me is always the scariest part where you know okay you built this thing it seems like it's working but who has the cojones to uh, to go ahead and pull you know to pull the switch and to flip them over like that? That's a scary, scary thing because if things start going horribly wrong, whew, and you're gonna and have it to run an entire bunch business, of tests, like
1: you said, yeah,
0: you could you could end up running you know years worth of transactions again through this new system and then validating that everything's the same. I mean, there is, there is a level of testing you're going to have to do with these modernizations that is unlike anything that most people are, are aware of when it comes to kind of modern software development.
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh, there, because this is going to happen no matter what. Right. And, and the nice thing is at least there are some newer tools out there To help in yeah. doing some of this. There's new debugging tools, parsers and analyzers. There's some um, newer refactoring tools that are out there as well to try to help people to at least learn what the code is doing, try to understand the code um, and then move forward from that. And, and I, think, I think it helps. I don't think it replaces anything again, but it at least allows us to try to understand the, the environment we're working in. And an interesting question that came up and maybe this can be where we we kind of we're starting to go down with this but since everything's AI nowadays which you might as well touch on it and the question came up oh why don't i just use AI to to go refactor and rebuild my system mm-hmm. and i don't believe any of that is possible what do you think uh, um well i
0: guess uh, what there there's many levels of possible <laughs> can Can it help you? Yes. (laughs) Can it well I I have to draw a correlation with Copilot. Copilot and those types of tools are useful. The the more basic of things you're asking it to do, the the better it's going to be at it. Mm -hmm. And the it is the complexity of the business that will ruin any ai system because it is not it is you know it is not a solved problem so you know now now there's very clear coding patterns like if you're going to write a java program there is a a pretty set standard set of syntax of what you're going to find and where things are going to be able to look up that is not necessarily true in the old world in the old kind of COBOL programming. So if you're asking an AI tool to be able to help you with a known solved problem, yes, it's going to do a fairly good job at that. Hey, I want to, you know, take, I want a Python program that can integrate with Google maps API. Yes. It can spit all of that out. Hey, I, you know, give me a good test for this, this block of data. It can do a fairly decent job at that, but you know, when you start to look at like, especially testing where it's needing to understand the code and then try to test it for you. A lot of times it's going to be wrong and it's not really going to give you things that are super helpful because it doesn't really understand the logic of what you're actually trying to accomplish. And so, you know, I, if you were, if you were to correlate it to, you know, It's much easier to modify code than it is to write it from scratch. So in that model, would it be easier? Yeah, but I also wouldn't believe a lot of it. And, you know, if a human is going to have a tough time going through and understanding the complex business logic and these multiple other systems that are impacting that logic, you need your input into the program and then your outputs of the program. Being able to create an AI that's just going to automatically understand that. I'm, I'm a bit dubious to that as well, but could it help in some ways? Yeah, but it also might give you, it might end up costing you a lot of time as well, because it might run you down roads that you're not necessarily wanting to or willing or, or to go down, and you're gonna to have to then kind of shift and change those things. So maybe there's a lot of people working on that problem. I know of a handful of different answer. like Cobol, like Cobol, the Java AI programs, yeah. and you know I know we're working on a few of those with a couple of clients, and it's
1: yeah. <laughs> well, we'll That's see. Your consulting answer Thank though you. with maybe maybe, maybe. it's the perfect answer. A strong right? maybe. It's a strong maybe. I, I agree with you because I think there's – we expected to do more than it could, and it's not going to understand the domain logic. It's not going to understand the decisions that were made at different times in history based on things that were happening and changes in the organization and the developers themselves. And it's also a different programming model back then. We didn't do software the same way we do it today. So it needs okay. to be smart enough to understand those components. What it might be uh, helpful in is if mm-hmm. you start figuring out patterns throughout the system, you can ask it to help to redesign mm-hmm. or rewrite the code into a newer language, like you said, and help me to start designing services or something mm-hmm. else based on some logic I see. And so there are component, er, there are areas where I believe it would help. Absolutely. But I don't think you're ever going to be able to have something that you just point and go. Yeah, no. no. The only, the only way that's
0: ever going to be true and I'll throw this little nugget in here as well, but the only way that I think AI is ever going to take over any development is the minute that we no longer write any code. If, if you're going to it and saying, Hey, I want to do this thing, this thing, and this thing go fine. Like it can go handle its own thing. But the minute that you inject humans and a computer, that have to work in the same space, you're you're, you're gonna, you're always going to run into major conflicts because that's never gonna work together.
1: It's the the same argument I
0: made about the autonomous cars. Like the, the only way autonomous cars are truly going to work is when you stop humans from being able to drive on the road. It's really the exact same problem.
1: Yeah. We need to get ourselves out of the way. Right. (laughs) Um, I did a quick search here and the yeah, articles that you see out here today say using generative AI to automatically an- analyze the mainframe code and gener- generate equivalent code in other programming languages, which then brings us back to the fear of lift and shift right Don't just rewrite this to another language and lift and shift the entire system. you will be very disappointed in the end.
0: Well here, here's another example I wrote I wrote a a pretty significant or uh, a pretty long article the other day and i was writing on a topic it was like 14 pages or something crazy and so i fed it into our chat gpt overlords and i said hey can you help me rewrite this and it's like yeah sure i can help you rewrite this and it wrote, wrote it down to like a page and a half and when you look at what it wrote it's just missing just large chunks of the whole thing and it's like um okay well that's a problem <laughs> and you like, you you've cut out basically all of the content and which was weird the same I would be very worried about the same kind of thing happening in one of these kinds of transformations is it, it just missed it and if you didn't understand the old system and then you've had an AI system create the new system You are now multiple levels of extraction away from the source of truth. And how are you going to understand the new system to be able to make it do what you want it to do without going back to the old one to try to then reverse engineer that thing to now fix the problem? And, you know, to go to go back to my construction days, there was always this interesting like this little, little joke you would give to people. Like I charge a hundred, I charge a hundred dollars an hour to do work or $125 an hour. If you help. And
1: a hundred percent, because
0: it's like, all you're going to do is get in my way, make my life harder and do things. I don't understand. And in some of these spaces, like if you're talking about copilot, that's less of a problem because it's more localized. Where it's, okay, well I want I need you to recreate this, you know, write test off of this function or whatever. But in this model, you're talking about rewriting an entire program using those kinds of things. So it just now you've got this weird middleman helping you. And so it's just yep. gonna make your life harder in the end, possibly.
1: Yeah, one day it might be something there to help, but I don't think today. Yeah. Yeah, everybody everybody wants that
0: silver bullet. I, you know, I, I, I spend a lot of time in the in the developer experience space, and I hear everybody like, you know, oh, I, I need I need a dev portal. Well, why? Because I think I need one. Well, is that actually going to make you any better? Maybe, but probably not if you don't have any idea what you're actually trying to accomplish.
1: Yeah, hmm. yeah, it's uh. It's an interesting space. It is, though. It's, it's, it's one everyone sees as a problem. Large organizations are going to have a problem with some of it at some point, yet we don't have a clear answer. It's one of those things everybody wants to push under the rug and hope that somebody else will fix it. Like, it's it's very interesting uh, conversation and an interesting topic in itself. I, I totally agree. There is, it is
0: yeah, like you said, it's not going away. It's not going away, but, you know, how do you solve the problem is, is the big thing. And it's going to be up to, up to the leaders that are there, you know, the courageous leaders, like you said before, to be able to step up and say, yeah, okay, I'll take on this problem or, you know, I'll solve this problem in one way or another. And that might be through building around the edges through, you know, um, all API kind of abstraction layers, like lots of these different things and figuring out what it is to be able to, to drive, you know, to drive things forward. Cause like, you know, I'll go back to that kind of quote that I said earlier, you know, people think all of these, these systems are antiquated, but they're, they're not, the employers are just unwilling to provide training or, you know, um, give people like, um, uh, you know, code—what they call code—code code academies of you know being able to yeah. teach them how to to use and maintain these things, and they're just being sold that you know this has to—you have to go spend 30-40 million dollars to replace this thing, and take all of this risk, and which may or may not be true.
1: There's there's many other examples of um, both technology and non-technology of things that we thought were going to be completely replaced that have yet to be completely replaced. Mm-hmm. So there's a pretty good chance that the f- the mainframes will be around for a very, very long time. Mm-hmm. And not because we can't replace them, but they're actually doing their job well. That's right. And there's no reason to even. But there are so many examples, let's say through history, right, of other things that were going to be replaced by the next best thing. And, and yet, that component is still around. Those pieces are still around. You know, mm-hmm. those things. Um, yeah, I don't... I don't think it's going to go anywhere. I think it's, I think the question's better served as, what is the, how do I best utilize it? What's my next logical direction with it? It might be making it smaller, like you said, and making it more cost effective, and having it run the core things it does, moving the logical components to the cloud or somewhere else in my organization, um, and reducing my footprint so that I reduce my costs but it might not be replacing the entire system day one.
0: Sometimes those costs are just the cost of doing business, but it's different for every organization and, you know, having people around you that can help you with that and provide good, good strategic advice is really the key towards making it happen and not somebody that's just trying to sell you cloud services or consulting services or any of these other things.
1: Yeah, it's got to be out, outcome-driven towards some real ROI. There's got to be a purpose for what you're trying to do with okay. it, because again, if if you can spend the thirty million and it's helping you to make a billion or two off the top end of it or more, mm-hmm. you're not going to really care about the thirty million. It's going to be okay, That's you know. So you know, why take the risk for no reason? Okay. Well, this was fun, man. This is—I think this is a, a concept we could
0: dig a hell of a lot deeper into. But yeah, this was a really. Uh, definitely an interesting problem space and probably something we'll dig into a lot more as we go forward
1: yes definitely i enjoyed discuss discussion this is a topic that's been literally on top of mind for me for mm-hmm. the last couple of weeks and uh, we'll figure out this tool that we're recording <laughs> on as well so we, we we don't keep having some of these technical difficulties One of and these uh, days we'll get there
0: but yeah, we'll do a really great edit where nobody will know. We'll just like ch- 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 chop it all up and things will be mwah, beautiful.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and uh, I mm-hmm. hope you enjoy the weekend, yeah, my friend. Thank you, my friend. <laughs> See ya. <laughs> Cheers.